Hey everyone, welcome back to Garden State of Hockey. Gotta say, it's been a great response so far, and we appreciate you guys letting us know what you like, what you don't like, and some suggestions for things to talk about. Fortunately, today we have plenty of things to discuss. There's some great articles that came out, some devil's news to go over. But before all that happens, my name is Dan Roselle, and I'm joined by John Fisher. How's it going, John? It goes. This, the prospect challenge awaits. Preseason is less than a month away. We're almost back to yeah. devil's hockey. Oh, we're so close. I can taste it. It's been such a long summer. It feels particularly long this time around just because the offseason was very, very exciting. I don't remember being this excited for a season to actually get started in a long time. But before that happens, we have, you know, the, the dog days of summer are filled with all kinds of stories. They're filled with features on players that may not necessarily, I don't know about have the time to talk during the season, but players that aren't necessarily highlighted as the season goes on. And one of those players that we know and love is Travis Zajac. And Zajac got some love this week from Devil's Beat reporter Amanda Stein on the New Jersey Devils website. So a great feature came out on Zajac. And until you take a look at this article and really digest the numbers that Amanda goes into, you don't realize how much of a mainstay Zajac has been in the Devils organization. We know he's one of two players left over from the 2012 Cup run. But you look at these stats and he's making serious pushes to be top five in many, many statistical categories for New Jersey. So what did you think of what Amanda had to say about Zajac and where he stands in the Devils organization? Well, it's definitely, you know, as you said, this is the appropriate time to do those sorts of things. I think people take Zajac for granted. He's one of those players that you just say, oh, he's on the roster. He's okay. He does some useful things. He'll get you 40 points, and then you you just sort of move on and focus on somebody else like Taylor Hall or Nico Heischer or something like that. But she is correct that because of his longevity, longevity, longevity. longevity see, I'm, I'm a hockey blogger. I don't have to speak words. <laughs> I just have to write them. He has been in the NHL, and I don't just mean like an NHL player for a handful of games and, and whatever. I'm talking about he had his first full season way back in 2006 and 2007. He's one of the few Devils who has been on the Devils for well over a decade. I have I don't have hockey reference in front of me. I'm not going to waste everybody's time trying to look it up. But Zajac is going to be one of the few Devils to have played over 1,000 games in the NHL entirely with the Devils or primarily with the Devils. I mean, he's sitting on 922 games right now. If he plays the full season, he break he breaks it. Actually, no, he just comes shy of breaking it. He'll break it next season. But no, nine twenty two plus eighty two, he'll get there. Oh yeah, okay. Just because I'm a hockey blogger doesn't mean I also have to know math very well. <laughs> but more importantly than that, there is a lot of value that a lot of people, including myself, take for granted that being able to show up and being good enough to play regularly to be in the lineup to be used in lots of different situations even if you're not a top tier player in that regard even if Zajac never had the skill of Zach Parise or Patrick Eliash or other players that co have come and gone through the organization being good enough and showing up and being good will help you get the goals help you get the assists and keep you 
on the team, get you a nice contract, and you can look back like Zajac can do right now and say, I've had a really good career. Most players coming out of junior A, college, wherever, they don't get to have this. Zajac can. Yeah, Zajac's cool because I know a lot of people complain when he signed that big deal uh, mm-hmm. to be, what was it, AAV of 5.7 around yeah. there? Per yeah, year. it was yeah, 46 million over eight years back in January of 2013. Right, and that's I think it's worth it for the calming presence that he brings. And again, you you don't want to pay a third line center something like that. But given that the Devils didn't really have established first line and second line centers until I don't know basically this year and not even yet this year, it's important to have someone like Zaja who can step in in case of injury. He's got the I know it sounds cliche, but the veteran presence that kind of keeps them calm in the back end. He's present in every way defensively. He's one of the best defensive forwards and one of the best face-off guys in the entire league. That's something that people don't appreciate, but it very much relates to having possession of the puck, winning face-offs. Zajac excels at this. And Zajac, again... If Green wasn't made the captain of the Devils, you know, didn't lean towards defensemen as captains more often than not, I feel like Zajac could have been in the running and in the candidacy pretty much any year he's been on the team. That's how steady he has been. And just to go over some of these marks that Zajac could potentially reach this year, this is all, again, from Amanda's article that she posted this week. Like you said, he's played 922 games in the NHL. Very likely that he passes Scott Stevens for games played as a devil. Scott Stevens has 956, and if Zajac plays in 34 games, uh, sorry, 35 games to pass him, he'll be in fourth place all time for the franchise. Now, there's a lot of records here that he won't catch Patrick Elias for first, but he'll be top five on almost every single offensive category that the Devils have. Let's go to all-time goals. Zajac is already in fifth with 186, and he can pass Zach Parisi with nine goals this year. And Zajac himself says in the article, you know, Zach did it in three seasons, but it's it's different. It's fine. We don't we don't talk about that. Durability is as much a um, contributing factor, but it's not a detriment to accumulating stats. I'd say I'd say it's just as valuable to be able to play for that long of a time if we go to assists he's in seventh place right now but with 17 more assists he takes over fifth from scott stevens again in terms of points zajac is only the fourth player in franchise history to record 500 points he's in fourth place now with 14 more points he takes over third from kirk muller very unlikely that he'll catch mclean or Eliash, but third place ain't bad for an entire franchise even strength goals he's already fifth and can pass parisi this year with 16 of those that's a little bit tougher but power play goals as well he has 52 right now which puts him one short of pat verbeek for fourth place Shorthanded goals, let's keep moving on. Zajac is tied for fourth with 11. He's tied with Doug Brown and Stefan Richet. And Adam Henrique, who will come up later today, uh, he has 13 goals. So Eliash is 16. If Zajac's out there for a lot of penalty-killing time, he can simply pot a few. Yeah, exactly. He's one of the... That's a role that he brings. And I think when you combine all of those factors, when you combine just how versatile he is, that's perfectly fine to have for a third line center getting paid that much money he's someone that i trust 
wholeheartedly whenever he's out there in defensive situations. And also, he's been shown to produce some chemistry with scoring line mates. We've talked about the ZZ Pops line. We've seen him produce when you give him some good wingers. He got, what, 40 points last year, somewhere around there? Well, he had 46 last season. And and that's another point I also wanted to bring up is that outside of the 2014-15 season and that lockout short in 2013 season, he's been a consistent 40-point scorer since his second season in the NHL. Outside of those two outliers, Zajac is a consistent producer to that level. I I don't think it's fair to say, yes, he's a third-line center now. It's clear that that's where he is on the pecking order, with Jack Hughes coming in especially. But when he signed the big deal, he was not used as a third-line center. As you said, the Devils didn't really have top centers, but the reality was Zajac was their top center because he was being used in these situations. Power play, penalty kill, extra man situations, overtime. I don't think the shootout was something where he did a lot in, or maybe he did and I'm completely blanking on it, which tells you about the shootout. But more importantly than that, he was a jack-of-all-trades. And way back when, I'm hoping I'm quoting myself correctly, I called him the poor man's Jonathan Taves. Uh, another center who was a big deal in Chicago. He did a lot of everything, but he just was not as productive as Patrick Kane, his line mate. But when you watch the game, you see what, how he's used. You see what he brings to the table. That's, a, that's where he gets his value. That's where he gets his big money. And Zajac is very similar in that regard. So he's going to give you probably another 40-point season. He'll probably do a good job on the penalty kill. He'll probably do a decent job on power play situations. And if, God forbid, injury happens at center, you can move him up, and it wouldn't look out of place for a couple games. Right, he can step in, and he's also been remarkably durable during his time in New Jersey. I only remember him having one or two major injuries um, that yeah. kept him out of more than, what, 10 games? It was the 2011-2012 season where he had the big one. Mm-hmm. He only played 15. He came at the end of the season. That's where Adam Henry got his opportunity. Right. Which we'll mention later. Right. No, of course. <laughs> but, more, but but you're right. Like, in the last, I'm looking here, the last six seasons, he has only, he has not missed more than 20 games in any one of those seasons. He's played 80 last season, 63 the season before. 80 before that, 74, 74, 80. And then in the 2013 season, what was only 48 games long, he played all 48 of them. This is a guy that, more often than not, he's going to be in your lineup, and you're going to appreciate that he's in your lineup, where, where, no matter where he is in the pecking order. And when he's missing, you can feel it too. You can feel them not as sure-handed on the penalty kill. You can feel them not being able to check the top lines as well, because that's another one of his specialties. So, as a franchise, I feel like I can say we've always respected that one line that's out there to shut down the opposing team's top line, the checking line as we all know it. So from the crash line to any sort of combinations with Zajac, they've always had someone, uh, you know, Madden, Pandolfo, those kinds of players that very much appreciated by fans of the franchise maybe don't get as much exposure in other regions of the league and under other markets that don't see them as often but their contributions are just as valuable as anyone else's and without Zajac I shudder to think what last year would have been like it was already bad but how many yeah, goals they would they have let up? <laughs> how many more would they have let up they would have been 31st by a mile 
No, Ottawa was was a special case last season. Oh, well, season. that's true, too. They, they were pretty much in the same situation as New Jersey, except there was never a moment where they had uh, a lot of talent on their roster last year. I'm not going to get into Ottawa's ills. Let's just say the devil situation was it, it was and is not as bad as how things are in Ottawa. Right. And again, I shudder to think what would have been if Zajac wasn't playing the majority of last year either. True, in the sense that the team... The second half of the season was littered with injuries. The first half of the season wasn't littered with injuries, but the bad goaltending, the offense could not salvage it, couldn't keep up with that. The road play was abysmal. Taking Zajac away would have made them more of a doormat to play against. And that's the larger point here is that these are the sorts of players that by inherently are not going to get lots of exposure in other markets because it's one like Madden, like Pandolfo, I don't think it's really fair to throw Zajac into those those sorts of categories because Matt and Paldolfo were effectively specialists. Something that's kind of fading away from the NHL, just like fighting is. That said, Zajac, as I said earlier, he, he's a jack-of-all-trades player, master of none. He's good in a lot of different things, and as you say, he's useful in a lot of different situations, and that's where the value lies. At the same time, unless you're a top-level guy in those areas and you're playing with top level guys and you're, you're on a top level team like Jonathan Daves, you're just not going to get that level of exposure. And that's fine. Zajac doesn't need that type of exposure. He's got the big contract. He has a long career. He has a lot of accolades in that regard. He's done a lot better than the vast majority of that draft class in 2004. You know, there, there's nothing to really regret here. and I, I But I do appreciate the, that the organization, the Devils organization, are not forgetting about him in the light of, hey, we got Taylor Hall. Hey, we got P.K. Subban. Hey, we got Heischer. Hey, we got Hughes. We got Gusev. It's like, don't forget about the other guys who have been here and been through a lot of the good times and the bad times over the last 15 years. And I'll admit it's taken me a little bit to come around on just how valuable Zajac is. Yeah. For for some reason, my brother has always maintained that Zajac was his favorite player since he entered the league. I think he was just trying to be a little bit controversial there. But, you know, there there's Not a point really. being made. Well, initially when it was the Parisi time and Eliash was there and Brodeur and all that, like it, Zajac wasn't a popular choice for favorite player, but he okay, does exhibit fair. that grit that people do like about the Devils, that people, especially the Devils fans, respect in terms of players that have played for New Jersey. There's a lot of love given to players that maybe don't, get as much market exposure, but Zajac is that calming presence, and Zajac also represents that natural transition between locker rooms. Like I said, he and Green are the only remnants from that 2012 run, so they're going to be hugely important as this young core looks to get back in the playoff picture. They're the ones who have been there, who have seen it all. Even some of the major players, like like a Taylor Hall, don't have that much playoff experience like yeah pk suban coming in is a great help to that as well and we'll get to him later but zajac and green are the ones who have been there the longest they've seen the most regime change they've seen the most roster change and they've stayed pretty consistent throughout their time like maybe they lost a step here or there but oh yeah green has lost more than a step for sure but they've been consistent in the fact that they've always put team first. They're the ones who, in any interview, they won't point fingers. They'll say, listen, it's on me. It's it's nice to have a couple players you can rely on like that, whether or not they're 
the best in the league at what they do, who knows? But they know for a fact that they're people that can be called upon in tough situations, and that's something that a young core needs. That's something that if you throw a bunch of kids into the responsibilities that Zajac especially has right now, they might not do as well as he's learned to do over the years. This is especially important for a player like Heesher and also a player important for like Hughes, since one of the challenges of being a center in hockey is that you're, you have many more defensive responsibilities, you have more responsibilities in the neutral zone. You need to not only be in the positionally in the right place, but you need to be a very good communicator and you need to be constantly aware on the ice. And that's a hard thing for anybody to do. So for someone so having Zajac around to help Heesher and have helped Heesher, I should say, and to help Hughes to say, look, I've done this for nine hundred and twenty two games. The NHL is a lot faster than you think. Everybody is much better than you think. And even if you think the other the other guy is on a fourth line or a third line or whatever, the minute you take a break or you think it's easy, that's when you get beat. So here's what you need to do to make that happen. Here's how you communicate with Green and Severson and Subban and whoever else is, are, uh, is on the ice with you. Here's how you recognize certain things. Those are the sorts of things where Zajac definitely provides a lot of value, so to speak, off the ice that could be beneficial for – the growth and development of Heesher and Hughes, because let's be real, Heesher and Hughes are going to play a lot, a lot more than Zajac will. Sure, but they won't be as well, specialized well, 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 yet. Well, well, let me rephrase that. They're going to play more likely at even strength. There you you're go. right. The special teams, you're right. They're not going to start killing lots of penalties or be on the power. Well, Hughes and Heesher should be on the power play, but that's a different discussion for a different day. <laughs> but the point is, is that because they're going to be on a first line or a second line, they're going to get tough matchups. The trend in the NHL, you don't see checking lines anymore. You, the, the, the days of Madden, Pandolfo, Langenbrenner as a killer checking line are in the past. The, the days of Yeri Lettinen being a third-line superhero or Manny Malhotra as a bottom six, you know, constant defensive zone start winner and pusher and all sorts of great defensive play. Those days are in the past, Dan. Right. It's power for power. Top guys are playing top guys. It's almost like professional wrestling. It's main eventers against main eventers. Taylor Hall's not getting scrubs against them. He's getting Patrice Bergeron. He's getting Nikita Kucherov. He's getting Alexander Ovechkin. He's getting all the top guys against them. And because Heischer's riding with him or Hughes may ride with him, that's that's who they're going to get used to. So having someone like Zajac to say, look, I've been in those situations before. I've done it. Here's what, here, here are some tricks. Here are some tips. Here are, th- here are some things to look for to handle that. That's going to be a big benefit. And that in a, that plus 40 points, plus penalty killing, plus being able to slot in wherever and be a team player, plus not being a controversy, you can make a case that's worth $5.75 million. Yeah, I mean, he's the definition of a good soldier. He's yeah. been the definition of a good soldier this entire time. And yeah, so if you got some time today, take a look at some of Zajac's numbers over the years. You know, we mentioned a bunch of the stats that are relevant offensively, but take a look at what he's compiled over his time in New Jersey and just really understand that he's someone that you want on your team and maybe you don't want him in the most prominent role, but the role he plays is very valuable. It's very a behind-the-scenes kind of player. It's like a, I don't know so much as stage crew of a production, but maybe he's the stage manager. How about that? Well, I think you said it more perfectly. He's he's the definition of a good soldier. And any organization needs good soldiers. There are the sorts of players that superstars appreciate, coaches appreciate, 
management appreciates, and the hardcore fan, the fan that pays attention, they also appreciate. Every successful team has these types of players, no matter the sport, and, and even outside of sports. You need good people that they may not be superstars per se, but because they're reliable, because they're consistent, because you know they're capable of doing a number of different things and doing a pretty good job of them, you can. Re- they that's how they have their value. He's someone who will be welcomed back to the Rock every time he decides to come back, and I'm not sure that. Well, he has he has another year left on his contract. No, he's for sure. <laughs> no, I'm saying when it's all said and done, when when he's retired yeah. as a player, even if there's some sort of you know bitter ending to how he leaves if he goes to another team if his contract whatever there's a dispute whatnot i think there's not much that he can do to sully his reputation among new jersey devils faithful at this point and he would have to do something scandalous right and it's not someone that people think about right away but if you say his name people be like oh yeah i like that guy and I think that's a good reputation to have as the middle six of the lineup as someone who you know you're throwing out there, you know exactly what you're getting, but you know that what you're getting is something that not a lot of people can give. Make sure you check out that article and any articles that Amanda writes. She has very, very good insights on uh, these players. She has obviously the most access to them that anyone can have, so... Uh, be sure to check out her work to get you through to the preseason and also during the season. But yeah, today, the feature on Zajac was the one that it got me excited appreciating and what seems like an underappreciated guy. Okay, right. so but let's in- talk about but let's talk about someone with a bigger marquee, someone with a little higher Q rating, somebody yeah. <laughs> who's a bigger star than Travis Zajac would ever be outside of the Zajac family. And it wouldn't be a uh, conversation about a big star without a commercial break in between. So we're going to take oh, a absolutely. quick pause here. We have to here. do a little business with people. <laughs> so word from our sponsors here. We'll be right back to talk about one of the newest New Jersey Devils. And we're back. And of course, we alluded to it, but we're talking about Pernell Carl Subban, PK Subban, one of the newest New Jersey Devils acquired this offseason. And again, the angle we're approaching, listen, we could talk about his defensive numbers. We can talk about the fact that he's due for a bounce back season because last season was uncharacteristically injury riddled and also, you know, didn't seem like he was Maybe it was the injury, but he definitely didn't look 100%, but he's It wasn't back. a good season. Simple he, ask. Everyone has at least one, right? There's something yeah. that happens, but happens I, I, I like to think that he'll be back to his old self. And again, he's still one of the marquee defensemen in the NHL. So from that angle, who is the last defenseman of this caliber in terms of both reputation and in terms of skill that the Devils have had that was at his level? Well, in terms of skill, there are a number of defensemen I can immediately name that are legends of the game. You know, the Scott Stevens and the Scott Niedemars of the world. I wouldn't put Subban necessarily on their level per se, Mm -hmm. but he is a former Norris Trophy winner. And very few Norris Trophy winners are outside of the Hall of Fame. (laughs) I'll I'll say that much. However, you you added another important word in there. You said reputation. I'm going to expand on that and say attention and the correct answer to that dan is nobody because this sort of came to me recently pk suban 
is a first. He is the first celebrity on the New Jersey Devils. What do you think about that, Dan? I like how it. Does that, how, how, how does that fit you? How do, how do you feel when you know when I drop the c word? It's exciting. I mean, it's exactly. really exciting. It's something that. Yeah. For the first time on social media, we can see the Devils getting prominently mentioned. They're retweeted all over the place. There's you know, articles written about them all the time based on the angle of P.K. Subban. The guy has 2 million-plus Instagram followers. I've never seen anything like that remotely close New Jersey's team. Like, yeah, Taylor Correct. Hall got the buzz when he had his MVP season. However... You know, Kovalchuk got the buzz, Parisi got the buzz, but they didn't parlay it into something bigger than that. P.K. Subban well, shows well, up at the Kids' Choice Awards. He's now engaged to Lindsey Vaughn. That's this is a correct. lot of star power that he's bringing, and like you said, attention. That's a great word for it because it's not like it's negative attention. It's very, very positive uh, branding for New Jersey. Well, l- let's take a step back here, Dan. I'm going to be as bold as to say he's the first celebrity hockey player since Wayne Gretzky. Mm. Because now, granted, this is very much an Ameri- America-centric point of view. I'm sure if you and I were both in Canada, we, you know, we probably would hear a lot more about more of these players. They're bigger deals. I mean, hockey is a bigger deal in Canada than it is in America. Mm. Let's be real. However, you, you you brought up a couple things. Let's. Let, I want you to consider this. In this offseason, Taylor Hall has been pretty active. He publicly called out management for more talent. He played a bunch of video games and, you know, was featured on NHL.com. He streamed and, and all that good stuff. He just recently did an endorsement deal with a glasses company. And as you said, Taylor Hall brings a lot of buzz. He is what I call a superstar in a hockey world. Because when you're a top tier player in your sport, you're inherently a star. And when Taylor Hall gets moved people pay attention when taylor hall speaks people pay attention but it's all in hockey it's all in our little world dan you and i know exactly what taylor hall does and because we're in our hockey world we know about blake coleman's and you know recent announcement we know that connor carrick did a video about his training sessions and that's all well and good but that's all in the realm of hockey when pk suban goes training there are articles written about it in vogue in e in tmz and people, people, Dan, people is no longer just an infamous tweet by Tom Galitti to the Devils fan base. People, the magazine, is writing <laughs> articles about P.K. Subban training in the offseason or putting on his wife's bikini or his charitable efforts outside outside of the game. And most recently, his recent engagement to Lindsey Vaughn. And let's be real, P.K. Subban is not the most famous person in the relationship. I mean, all the articles in all these places I just mentioned, like E!, Vogue, Page Six, all the tabloid sites, they all start with Lindsey Vaughn for a reason. But P.K. Subban's name is prominently mentioned. The articles say he's a devil, he's a hockey player. He plays for the New Jersey Devils. He recently joined the New Jersey Devils. And more than that, Dan, even before all the, you know, the recent acquisition, when the NHL held a concert at the All-Star Weekend two years ago, they, they wanted a player to host it. They asked P.K. Subban. Can you imagine any other player in the league hosting a concert? No. <laughs> Correct. Last year, after the All-Star Skills Competition, you know, you're showing off the players and they're they're talking and trying to have fun and they're using their hackneyed nicknames of, oh, hey there, Stammer, how you doing? You know, Halsey, or, okay, Hall wasn't there, but you, you get what I mean by the hackney nicknames. Right. They had 
a comedy special, a, a talk show special for an hour hosted by P.K. Subban. I want, and then at the same time, they announced that he was going to have his own digital series, the P.K. Project, where he's doing interviews and so forth. Network executives at NBCSN or NBC as a whole, perhaps, got together and said, we want this guy to have an hour of our time to be a talk show host, even though he is not a comedian. He is not a trained talk show host. He is not an interviewer. He doesn't work in media. He's a hockey player. Can you think of anybody in the league who could do an hour of competent talk show media? See, a lot of those players kind of have already started doing that, but not when they were active players. You know what I mean? Patrick Sharp, how about that? Again, he's a he, he's an analyst. He he does what most player you know most sports do. They get a former yeah. player, they stick him in front of the booth, or they stick him in front of a microphone. They do some analysis, and they do good work. I'm not disrespecting them, but can you imagine Patrick Sharp hosting a talk show? No, or like the Kids' Choice Correct. Awards, for example. Who are you going to send there except PK? Exactly my point. And I go as far back as to Wayne Gretzky because when I was growing up, Wayne Gretzky was the megastar. If Anybody who even didn't know a thing about hockey, they knew who Wayne Gretzky was. Just like at the same time, if you didn't follow basketball, but you knew who Michael Jordan was. And when you're at that level of celebrity, even if you're not the most famous person in your relationship, or even if in the bigger scheme of celebrity, you're not really not that big, but you have opportunities that sort of justify the celebrity level. Going back to Gretzky, he hosted an episode of Saturday Night Live. It was terrible, but he hosted <laughs> And, and again, think about it. Producers got together and said, we want Rain Gretzky to host an episode of Saturday Night Live. And he did. People got together and said, you know what? We're doing a cartoon about sports stars. Let's have Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, and Bo Jackson do it. And we're going to call it Pro Stars. And we're going to use the cheapest animation possible to do it. And they did it. Wayne Gretzky, in, by the mid-90s, I, I read this brief article by Larry Wig uh, through the Associated Press, I think, uh, stating that, Wayne Gretzky, in all of North America, or even the world, was one of the highest paid athletes in terms of endorsements, because companies just kept coming in, coming to him to say, do this, do this, do this, do this. And the funny thing here is that Wayne Gretzky is not nearly as charismatic as P.K. Subban. He's not as bold, he's not as talkative, and so forth. It's mostly because Wayne Gretzky was literally better than everyone else in the world, by far. But the point I'm trying to make here is that Wayne Gretzky was, for all intents and purposes, a celebrity. And to a, to a degree, he still is. If Wayne Gretzky stands up and says something, we all pay attention because he's Wayne Gretzky. Right. P.K. Subban's not at the level of Gretzky's fame, and he's certainly not the level of his play as a player. But as you and I both know, because, you know, we pay attention to the, the entertainment world. We're hockey blog. We're in the hockey blogging scene. We have to. We have to. Entertainment is our gig, apparently, not just hockey. Uh but lots of people are famous for not necessarily being the best at what they do. It's not always fair. It doesn't always have to make sense, but it happens. But the thing here is that Subhan has embraced this, these opportunities, and they just keep building on each other. No one in the league, no matter how good they are, how talented they are, how good their metrics look, they're just not at this level. Subban is literally at a level higher from a fame standpoint and an entertainment standpoint. And that's just that's not just resulting in more eyeballs on the product, more eyeballs coming to New Jersey, more people being aware who the devils are. 
not just good for the brand, but it also just means that it's just another sign of how big the organization is, is thinking. And it's cool because Subban represents a lot of things that the Devils didn't formerly have, right? So they, they didn't have these kind of eyeballs on him. But as a person uh, who has that kind of attention, he handles it remarkably well. Obviously, oh, yeah. he's getting scrutiny left and right. He's been followed by people dogging him his entire career. He's the most prominent player of color in a sport that doesn't have too many of them at all. Like other leagues, their athletes are allowed to kind of spread their wings a little more. But hockey players have a very specific mold that they're supposed to fit into. They're supposed to be that uh, you know, the wooden team first guy kind of deal. Uh, what do you mean? I, I, I don't agree with that. No? I don't agree with that at all. There have always been characters in hockey. Well, there sure. Always but... been, there has always been guys who are pranksters or guys who are off the cuff or guys who are just like hard to get around. Like Sean Avery – I hate, I hate to bring him up, but he's a perfect example of this. Sean Avery had a pretty long career, and he's a big jerk. He, he got himself thrown off teams for being a big jerk. Right, but, but those guys attractive negative attention. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that they couldn't parlay whatever they were doing in the hockey world into the celebrity world. They didn't translate yes. it nearly as well. So right. while they had the attention in the hockey world, and yeah, some people appreciated them, but there's a lot of people that were also like, oh, that's not a very professional thing to do. I think as Correct. a whole overall, hockey players are more conditioned to kind of be reserved. I think there's a few exceptions to that in terms of, you know, the the fighter or the goon class of player, they had a little bit more personality. And yes, there's players that give fun interviews occasionally, but they're not out there hosting kids awards. They're not out there yeah. very prominently. Anytime PK goes to a new team, he just connects with that city's hospital network and volunteers all that he possibly can. It's cool to see someone that active in every community he's been in, and he's made fans everywhere that he's played. It's not an easy thing to do because there's a lot of bitterness when people leave in the NHL. There's a lot of people that are all of a sudden rooting for former players to fail because they left their team or got traded. Sometimes it's circumstances that are completely out of their control, but PK handles it quite well. He's been pretty much controversy free there was that weird mouthwash thing with crosby in the playoffs a few years back but that was more gamesmanship than actual controversy and it's remarkable to see someone in that position really take care of himself really take care of you know the communities that he's entering and have a good attitude approaching everything he could have been true but lots but lots there lots of people in the league have community efforts and they push things kyle palmieri does it Corey mm -hmm. schneider does it like Coleman does it through his pickle endorsements. I mean, it's true in the sense that hockey inherently drives this type of player because this is a sport where if you have a, if somebody's running their mouth, somebody could le legally knock your block off. That it's that's usually a pretty good deterrent to protect you from running your mouth. And of course, in some players like the Brad Marchands of the world, it, it doesn't mean much. But the you say it's not personality that makes PK Subban different from all these guys. It's actually if you think about professional wrestling, it's charisma. Mm -hmm. Lots of people have personalities. I have a personality. You have a personality, and so forth. And I'm sure you know among your peer group, my peer group, and so forth. You know, people say, "Oh, Dan's great, John's great, and so forth." But if you try to stick me on TV, that that would be a disaster. It because I don't have remotely the levels of charisma that's that a lot of the more prominent people have and to make it big 
you either have to be incredibly good, like on a level no, like no other, like Wayne Gretzky, as I previously mentioned, or you need to have boundless levels of charisma that people are just naturally attracted to you. They're naturally wanting to hear what you have to say. They're naturally drawn to you. They just it's not something that can be fully explained. And most importantly, it can't be taught. Mm -hmm. Like you either, you either have it or you don't just like in professional wrestling. I, anybody can put on a flashy robe and and talk about being the man and going woo, but not, but only one person could be Ric Flair. Just, just to use an example from somebody who gets featured at, at devil's games. Anybody can grow out a long beard and start yelling the word yes. And and just wear a t-shirt and start yelling at people about how bad they are. But not everybody can be Daniel Bryan. Mm-hmm. Anybody can get, you know, do a lot of steroids, hit the gym, get pumped up, get a big tan that they look orange, have some sort of weird, like, bald mullet thing going, and, and, and learn how to rip their T-shirt open and start calling everybody brother. But there's only one Hulk Hogan. <laughs> That's the point I'm trying to make here is that it's not that what you're saying is is wrong per se. I mean, I, I don't agree that there's a devoid of characters or personality. And I think a lot of it, I don't think it's so much the culture so much as to say, you know, most people just aren't interested in doing this. Fame is a hard thing to do. It can break somebody very easily. It's a lot of extra pressure. And if you're already an athlete where you're constantly worried about your job, your likelihood in a sport where injuries can happen at any moment, you know, it's a, it's a lot to take on. And that's sort of why the PK is special in this regard, because he has this level of charisma that just nobody really has. And he's embraced this when he could have easily said, nah, I don't want to be involved. I don't want to do this. I don't want to have digital projects. I don't want to be on TV. I don't want to do the Kids' Choice Award. He could have easily said no to all this, but instead he embraces it. And and that speaks to him as a person and and the, and the levels of charisma allow him to do all this, whereas somebody like Kyle Palmieri, who, again, he's involved with veteran support. He does a lot of good things locally. I'm sure he's a local hero up in Montvale, but it just doesn't work with – it just not, wouldn't work with Palmieri. It just wouldn't. Yeah, so basically my point was not to say that they're devoid of personality. My point was to say that they don't have – a culture of accessibility in hockey. They don't have a culture of fan interaction. Whatever personality they display, whatever they show, it's very rare to see it outwardly facing. Like you'll hear stories from former players all the time about certain players and what they did in locker rooms and, you know, it's just some fun stories and how they were outside of the rink, but you don't <laughs> see a lot of that from players that are currently in the league. You don't see people hearing these stories and people being or players being as open with fans and as interactive with them as PK has been throughout his career and continues to be because of internet, these opportunities are more accessible, like more than, more than ever before you can, you can do this. Like a lot of these issues are being addressed through tech, pure technology. You didn't have social media 20 years ago. So if Scott Stevens wanted to talk to his fans personally, it would be through letters. It would be, it would be at, you know, appearances. It would have to be at autograph sessions now, a guy, you know, a player can tweet and, and, you know, a bunch of people will come out of the woodwork to say how amazing he is or how terrible he is or whatever. Um, cameo is another big thing that has come up where if you pay a player, they can read off a message for you or say something to you. And a lot of NHL players have actually signed starting to sign up for that. But again, going back to the point here, Taylor Hall may be doing this or Martin Brodeur may be doing this. But it's a bigger deal if P.K. Subban decides to do it. And that's the difference. 
Now, that being said, about accessibility, Dan, just to sort of tangentially go away to the point, that's another thing that where the sport of hockey inherently has this issue. Bill, I'm going to quote Bill Simmons, the sports guy, formerly of ESPN, currently of The Ringer, I believe. Mm-hmm. He wrote he wrote a really good book about basketball. Uh, I believe it's called B- Bill Simmons' Big Book of Basketball, something to that effect. And he wrote about how basketball is a naked sport because in basketball, every the, the, the court is set up that everybody's looking down upon you. TV cameras are literally in your face. You have camera people literally on the floor of the game, less than a few feet away from the players at times. And the players are just wearing a tank top and a pair of shorts. And especially in the 80s, if you were hanging and banging and partying too hard last night, everybody noticed. If you were in a bad mood and angry at somebody, you couldn't hide it. You literally were just left out there with spotlights thrown down upon you. And with the growth of television and the growth of the internet, thanks to stuff like YouTube and now people making gifts of everything everywhere, any little moment can be captured forever and you can't hide it. Whereas in hockey, you have boards, you have glass. Everybody's wearing 20, like 10 to 15 pounds of equipment. Everybody's in helmets. Like, yes, there are, you can see emotion flare up in players and, and things like that, but you have to really look for it. You can hide those sorts of things more easily. And then throw in the fact that the media, the hockey media for all intents and purposes, Dan, <laughs> for as much as they complain about this, because they complain a lot about the fact of, how come we don't have any more PK Subans? How come all these players are give boring interviews? Meh, 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 meh. At no point has the hockey media looked at themselves and said, well, maybe the problem of you getting boring, cliched answers is because you ask boring and cliched questions. Or more commonly, they don't ask questions. They just go, tell me how you feel about going down three goals last night. (laughs) Or give me your thoughts about the penalty that's, you know, so-and-so took last night. Or my personal favorite, can you share your feelings about what just transpired? And I understand there's there's a line to walk. You can't just be like, hey, what was the deal with the penalty? Why, why did you do what you do? I understand that a team can pull media credentials and stuff like that. I understand it's not that simple. But just like a, just like in a classroom, if the students aren't giving you the answers that you want, you have to look at yourself, teacher, and ask yourself, are my lessons really working? And that's what, and that's kind of why I, I bristle at the fact of, well, you know, it, 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 the the culture is the problem. Mm, media, please, you've helped build this. You've helped build this area. If you want more interesting answers, you got to ask some interesting questions, and you have to start driving into these things more and more. Because currently, as as you pointed out earlier, teams are learning to do this themselves. You know, they did. You know, Amanda Stein did a feature on Travis Zajac. You mean to tell me that no p- newspaper or no other website could have done the same thing? That's the difference. I think a lot of it also, you know, in terms of the media, it comes down to there's a 
very specific section of the hockey media that's quite, in a word, curmudgeonly. When a player does break the mold and does say things that are a little off the cuff, there's an entire section of people that comes out and says, oh, not a very team player making it all about himself saying exactly. these things. Does he stir up controversy? Like, what do you want? Do you want the players to give you honest answers? Or do you want them to just be these team first robots without any sort of semblance of, you know, giving insight to their answers? Yeah, sure. He's he's a good boy, falls right in line. Or is he someone that is meant to be a distraction for the team? And this is not something that, you know, P.K. Subban has been able to avoid. There's a lot of people labeling him these ways because he does give that more of his personality outwardly than most other players do. So then it becomes right. a question of the new age, you know, we're looking to see this from players. We're looking to learn more about this league versus, oh, how much is he distracting the locker room, making him the focus of this team? How much do the other players resent? Blah, 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 all this right. nonsense. And that's, and that's not just in hockey, Dan. That's true in a lot of sports. For sure, it's, but especially, it's especially hockey. Especially true in, well, no, it's especially true in football and mm. soccer. Especially uh-huh. soccer, since that's a sport where, you know, all of a sudden every January or December, or I'm sorry, every J- summer or December, all of a sudden it's, Half the players, you know, get bought by other teams and go everywhere. So no one's really that loyal to anybody. But but it's true. It, it's true. The media is very wishy-washy about this. And social media is even more wishy-washy about this because you got all these people going, oh, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool. But the minute they step out of line and say, the, say something honest that maybe they don't agree with or that they do something they don't appreciate or it wasn't just – it just didn't work – you know, that person is suddenly this now person is the worst thing, the worst thing around. And the social and that sort of is the id to, as you just said, this curmudgeonly attitude of many members of the hockey media where, you know, they say you want personality. You say you want real answers. You want authenticity. You want bold answers that are different from the norm. But the minute you get something like that that you don't like, all of a sudden it's, whoa, you can't be like that. You must be a problem. And we're going to dog you as, as having a problem as much as you want. But again, that's why P.K. Subban is different, because despite the criticism, despite whatever nonsense he gets from social media, he's been able to deflect it. And he hasn't changed because of it. He has not had a moment saying, well, from now on, I'm just not going to be on social media anymore. Or from now on, I'm not going to do any of this. He's like a true celebrity, Dan. Getting back to my original point, like a proper celebrity. He just keeps going. He just goes. The haters and losers, of which there are many, can say whatever they want. I'm just going to keep doing me, and that's the correct answer. Because it were, and Subban has the fame, and he has the juice, so to speak, to keep doing that. It's cool. Having him in the fold makes the Devils, uh, in a few ways, an attractive destination for people. There's a lot of exposure that you wouldn't be getting otherwise if Subban wasn't here. He is someone who... I haven't heard a bad word about him from any other players in the league, basically only media members. So it's something that he can bring that from place to place without losing who he is as a person. I find that really cool. And I am excited to see how he fits in and both how hopefully he handles, he's handled success pretty well throughout his career. He's had a very good career thus far, and there's no reason to believe he won't continue it. But, you know, in times of adversity, he also has been shown to handle himself well. He hasn't been pointing fingers. He hasn't been blaming anyone other than himself. 
so he's someone that takes a lot of accountability for how the role he plays on the team. Now, does he still have the game to back up all that he's saying or we hope so. To... Yeah, of course we hope so. And we want that bounce back season and it was worth the risk and no one will ever tell you otherwise. But if he, I'm interested to see how he does handle this renewed attention, especially after the toughest season of his career. Absolutely. I will go as far as to say is I don't think many people are going to sit there and say, I'd rather wish we had Steve Santini back. Right. We'll see how Jeremy Davies does. If he turns out to be a good player, um, this gets a little awkward, but you're right. Under the current ownership, P.K. Subban has the most expensive contract in terms of uh, a year's salary. He's getting paid $10 million this season, or this coming season, rather. I'm not going to sit here and say he needs to justify all $10 million, but he has to be better than what he was last season. And at the end of the day, despite all the fame, despite all the celebrity, and again, that's sort of, again, what makes P.K. Subban so much different than everyone else is that he's likely to still be have some level of fame even after his playing career ends. Just as you said, Dan, it's got to show up on the ice. He's got to bring the game to back up the intention. And for the amount of money he's he, he's cost, the fact he came in in a trade, the fact that the Devils have these bigger aspirations to make the playoffs, P.K. Subban actually said this week, we got to make the playoffs. So that means he's got to be a part of that. And I'm hopeful he will be. That's the sort of nature of fame and the nature of being a celebrity is that not only is it just – it's not just all attention and getting articles in vogue and people. It's also dealing with the pressure. The good news is that he's dealt with a lot of pressure in his career. The, the bigger question is, can the team follow suit and can PK play well, as, well with that team? And I'm hopeful the answer is yes. Please be yes. I don't want to write about 29th place team again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm tired of lottery seasons, Dan. I know. Cheering for lottery balls. I want to put Sherman Abrams away. I, I don't like that gimmick. I came <laughs> up with it. I don't want to keep going back to it. But well, uh, it's been so it's good so, for so, so long. So. You know, we were we were pretty fortunate in the uh, in the '90s and early 2000s. But I, I get what you're saying. I totally hear you. And one of the ways to deflect away from your personal uh, celebrity is to marry someone even more famous. So congratulations to PK. Uh, like we said, he announced his engagement to Lindsey Vaughn. Um, earlier this week seems like they're very much on the same page and it's nice to see Lindsay excited about coming to New Jersey as well that's the, that's the thing that struck me the most when this trade was made was that their attitude moving from you know Nashville to New Jersey New York market was it was cool to see they were very excited about it and they easily could have been like all right we'll we'll get used to it we'll grow to love the place but it was nice it's it's cool to see people understand that that's the kind of stuff you have to say to a new fan base to get them, uh, you know, to get yourself endeared to them. So I like that a lot. I can't wait to see them in the market, but especially PK on the ice. He's going to bring a lot to the table and yeah, hopefully for the duration of the remaining contract that he has with New Jersey. Absolutely. And so when on the note of defenseman, uh, Sammy Votnin was acquired at, for a trade for our devil of the day, Adam Henrique was uh, signed. You might have heard of him. You yeah, he's, he's a minor guy. He, he only sent them to the Stanley Cup finals in 2012, but he signed his new contract with New Jersey in 2013 on uh, this week. 
However, again, this was a trade. Yes, this was one of those that really hurt because Henrik was very much one of those guys like we talked about with Zajac, where he's the kind of soldier you want on your team, and he brought a little bit more skill. Whether or not he was as good on the penalty kill as Zajac is, you know, it, it's not directly relevant, but Henrik brought a lot of skill to the table. He was a very reliable player in his own right. He still is uh, for Anaheim, I'm sure. I just don't have the opportunity to watch him as much. But He's someone that I'll always remember fondly. And you know that aspect of Zajac always coming back to a welcome reception? Henrik will get that as well. No one's ever going to forget that call back in 2012 when he scored the overtime goal in Game 6 against Lundqvist. So uh, shout out to Adam Henrik. I hope he's doing well in Anaheim. He just signed a new deal there as well. So any thoughts on him? Well, first and foremost, um, you know, I'm, I'm, because I'm a hockey blogger, so, you know, my, my perspective is a little different. I remember writing about how I thought Adam Henrique was going to be traded before he was <laughs> like, like I, I actually argued against myself. I said, well, here's the reasons why he should be traded. And here's some reasons why he shouldn't. Um, at the time, I didn't realize I wasn't so much hurt by the trade. I understand, you know, for a generation of fans, especially if you've become a fan over the last uh, 10 years, if you, you know, if 2012 was your highlight year, then yeah, I could see how it would. But the trade itself was a very even trade. It was very much a Anaheim needs a center. The Devils needed a right-sided defenseman. Hey, look, we made the deal. <laughs> they they addressed their problems, both sides mutually. And I think it still is an even trade since Vatnin, even though his future is kind of in doubt, he's on his last year of his deal. He's going to become a UFA after this season. You know, we could see Vatnin getting traded, presumably at some point because Subban is now on the team. That said... Uh, Henrik did provide a lot of good things for the Devils, not just sending the Devils to the playoffs. I'm sorry, the Stanley Cup finals, not just eliminating our hated rivals. He also made it possible for the Devils to even get to that get to that round, because if you remember that same playoff season, mm -hmm. the Devils almost lost to Florida, Florida. In the first round. <laughs> they went to double overtime. I thought I grew at least five gray hairs when I saw John Madden in front of <clears throat> John Madden in front of Martin Brodeur. With nobody covering him, having three free shots at the net, I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, old man Madden's going to eliminate the Devils. <laughs> uh, but thankfully, Adam Henrique sent a shot through the five hole in double overtime. All the Florida fans were stunned in silence, like, what? That's how it ended? And, you know, I'm you know screaming like a child at 11.30 at night. Nevertheless, Henrique, Henrique had two playoff series winning goals, and he was very much a hero in that season. But he also emerged as a legitimate player because he was a third-round draft pick. He very much was, hey, it was good in juniors. He made it to the world junior team. You know, this guy might have an NHL future, but who knows how big it will be. And his very first season, he got to ride shotgun with Zach Parise and Ilya Kovalchuk. And he acquitted himself very well in that rookie season. So much so that he was very much like Zajac, like Green, one of those key players when the, when the years got lean. And as such... He, he's very well respected. Hobbies Deli recently had a fire. And even though he's a member of the Anaheim Ducks, he sent an autograph photo and said, you know, I, I'm glad you guys are back. And Hobbies, of course, said, we'll still make you sandwiches because even though you're not a devil. And and that sort of typifies the type of guy he is. And, and that's sort of what I was driving at earlier is that a lot of players are a little closer to the community than I think they get credit for. Mm -hmm. And he, Henrique was another one of those guys as well. And, and that's why... As you say, Dan, he can come back at any point, even if he's a member of the Ducks or a member of another team, 
as long as it's not the New York Rangers. Or the Flyers, I'd say. Uh, yeah, okay, well, more Rangers than Flyers, but yeah. He will not get booed. Unless he scores, like, a sick, crazy goal against the Devils and, like, makes everybody feel bad to like see Like he it. did against the Devils yeah, the first yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Passing Sammy Vatanen. Yeah, yeah, him posterizing Vatanen and Schneider was almost like, okay, um... That was awesome, but I I can't cheer for that, and I mean, I'm not. Thank going God to. the Devils still won that game. Oh yeah, th- thank yeah. The, the winning the game was more important. Uh, more seriously though, he's for all intents and purposes he's a playoff hero, and you could argue he's the last playoff hero the Devils have had, and that's pretty big for an, a guy from an organization that has had three Stanley Cups, five Stanley Cup Finals appearances, loads of playoff playoff runs. So to be a hero. It, it, it puts him in elite company, or rather, it puts him in a very small group of people. And of course, you remember who scored the other goal against Florida that helped stave off elimination, right? As a hockey blogger, that doesn't mean I have to be very good at being put on the spot. <laughs> Running to that ex, <laughs> to that excuse. Uh, well, so episode. the reason I bring it up is because Zajac scored the overtime goal uh, the game before. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so I was, I was thinking Alexei Ponikarovsky. I don't no, think no, no. that was the Flyer series that he scored an important goal. Yeah, it, it wasn't. No, it wasn't the Flyer series. It was. No, it was the Flyer series. It was the game that led to the elimination. The Flyer there, series had everything. It had the Brzezgalov goal off of Carson oh, shin pad. <laughs> it had a game two without Kovalchuk where the Devils won. Oh, and they they didn't just win, Dan. They they pounded the crap out of they them. They stomped <laughs> them, and it was great. No, it's great to reminisce about things like that, and I appreciate Henrik and Zajac for giving us those kinds of memories. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because we've been talking about them this whole time, so I figured, you know, what's more relevant than this? Absolutely. And with that Henrik trade, I don't think either the Devils or the Ducks make the playoffs that year if that trade doesn't happen. So I, yeah, extremely valuable stuff there, and just one of those solid quote-unquote hockey trades that you see happen occasionally where everyone's like no you know we're all pretty satisfied with this yeah there's not really a loser in the trade a lot of times in trades you you can immediately find out that all right this guy this team gave up too much this gate this team gave up too little no this this was the definition of an even trade Mm -hmm. okay yeah so you know lots of fun discussion about one player that's in the stratosphere in terms of exposure and fame and one player that's kind of more lower key, but very much uh, important for New Jersey's team. So again, the old guard and the new, that's what I guess I'll call this episode. And um, if you have any thoughts, you know, if you have any thoughts about the impact that Zajac has had in New Jersey, that anything we didn't cover, or like a particularly good memory of him, we'd love to hear it. Uh, we always love hearing about players like him, the players that we mentioned earlier, the Maddens, the Pandolfos. These are the low key guys that, Every franchise has these guys that fans of their franchise love, and they will never be able to explain to you why exactly they love him if you haven't seen a majority of that team's games. Does that sound fair? Yeah, I agree. And I think that Zajac fits very well into that, so keep it up, Travis. We appreciate everything you do for New Jersey. And PK, welcome aboard. Hopefully, we'll be able to talk about you this same way when it's all said and done. Absolutely. All right, so that's been our time here. Again, thanks sure. for listening. Um, okay, if... well, I, I just wanted to quickly oh. make a couple corrections from last week, from the last episode. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. From our, from our illustrious listeners, uh, the members of the All About the Jersey community, the people who matter. <laughs>
PA Devil wanted to point out to me that Ty, uh, Ty Smith is not actually eligible for Binghamton. <laughs> not Bingminton, as I said last week. Also, it was corrected by a number of different people. <laughs> so Smith cannot go to Binghamton since he's not actually 20 years old yet. So the NHL, or rather the AHL, the American Hockey League, has an agreement with the Canadian Hockey League, which governs all three major junior leagues in Canada, to prevent players of a, players under the age of 20 from coming to play in the AHL. So this way the AHL isn't basically a glorified juniors league. So what that means is that Smith is unfortunately in the same spot that Pavel Zaka was once in and other prospects have been where it's clear that he's way too good for West, the Western Hockey League, but he's not eligible to play in the minor leagues yet because he's not old enough. So it's either going to be he's going to be in New Jersey, Dan, or he's going to have to go back to uh, his team in juniors gotcha. until the end of the season. PA Devil suggests that he's probably going to get his nine game uh, tryout, which is common because if he plays that 10th game, the entry level contract begins uh, one nice benefit is that entry-level contracts can slide for up to two seasons. So if Ty Smith does go back to juniors and he doesn't play 10 games in the NHL, the contract would actually start next year. So unless Ty Smith is bad in camp, he'll probably get a tryout and probably get sent back to juniors and said, you got a spot next year. Don't worry about it. So I just wanted to highlight that correction on both Ty Smith's uh, eligibility and also the city of Binghamton. Binghamton. I should just say bingo, shouldn't I? Bingo is fine, too. <laughs> bingo. B-Devils. The affiliate. Perfect. I'm a hockey blogger. I'm not necessarily great at pronouncing city names. <laughs> so, pronunciation, math, and uh, Pronun what, memory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so just so you know, aspiring hockey bloggers out there, if you're worried about knowing any of those things before you go into it, don't. No. You know, it doesn't really take a lot of skill. It's more it's more effort than, than talent. All right, so that brings us to a conclusion here. You can always find us online at All About the Jersey Blog, at AAT Jersey Blog on Twitter. I'm at DanRoz623 on Twitter, and at JK Fisher on Twitter as well for John. Be sure to share your thoughts with us and keep commenting. We love seeing everything and interacting with you guys. Thank you for showing up and listening. And have a great rest of your day.